Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. I first came into contact with David Rendell during a phone conference that addressed the many anticipated medical and environmental effects of the oil spill. What struck me is that he wore two hats, one which dealt with a real advocacy and energy to deal with how to protect and save the oceans and wildlife. But the other aspect was his pastoral work with something known as collective grief. Indeed, as I thought about the mental health needs of the people who are watching their lives and livelihoods change because of the spill, the question is what realistically can we do for them? How do we help them mourn the loss of so much? Dr. Rendell, thank you so much for being with us. A pleasure to be with you. It is important to note that we are today talking about one aspect of the mental health process, but it is only one aspect. It is not the only one needed for some people, and sometimes the more traditional interventions, including possible medication or other types of psychiatric intervention, may also be needed. So if someone is feeling out of control or overwhelmed, or you know someone who is feeling out of control or overwhelmed, then they should seek serious professional help before it gets completely out of control. Okay, that being said, traditional mental health intervention tends to be an individual or small group process. This, however, focuses on collective trauma, and that's where we're going to discuss this with Dr. Rendell. Dr. Rendell, please introduce us to the history and notions of collective grief. Well, collective grief is a concept that I became aware of in working with my colleague, the late Dr. Howard Kleinbell, who was the founding president of the American Association of pastoral counselors. And Howard and I were asked to put together a program for the American Association's International Conference in Utah right after 9-11 and actually had experience working with some of the caregivers at the 9-11 site on the ground. And we found through that that it was not enough just to deal with the individual trauma that people were facing from that event, but it was really a a collective thing that the whole culture was experiencing. And we saw that manifested in very rash political actions and a lot of stress and anxiety that exhibited itself in many, many different ways. And of course, as we began reflecting on it, this wasn't new to our culture. The, The Native Americans have been expressing this for some time, and I then subsequently had a chance to work on some collective grief issues in Native American settings and found the same kind of dynamics taking place. Basically, what I see when we have collective grief, we have the terrifying, disorienting, shattering kinds of things, but people are literally, as large systems, losing their collective identities. They're, they're losing their understanding of who they are as individuals. They're losing a, a lot of their culture their way of life. And we're seeing this manifesting itself now in the Gulf region. Fishermen are facing the prospect of having family traditions totally wiped out with this one incident. People that have owned resorts for years are seeing that they are in jeopardy of losing their way of livelihood. Communities are falling apart in terms of what their tax bases might be without the tourist industry. And the truth is nobody really knows how deep this is going to go and how long it's going to go. And so that's creating a whole other level of anxiety as well. That's true because a war or an attack or a hurricane basically comes to an end. Right. And this has been going on for two months now, and we still don't know when the end date is for when we start putting things back together and how much worse it's going to get. We see the oil just continuing to to move and cover larger areas of beaches from 
Louisiana to Florida. The statistics about the spill are just daunting. There's no question about it. And of course, one of the things is that we really don't even know the long-term outcome of this because we've never experienced it to this scale before. And again, to go back to the analogy of a war, when a war ends, it ends and people can go back and start farming again or rebuild their houses unless they've been displaced. But basically, they have the wherewithal to resume uh, the beginning of a normal life again. That's what you're saying is missing here. That That's part of the collective identity that gets destroyed. Right. And so the challenge is, how do we facilitate that psychosocial reconstruction of the community? How do we begin to decrease the social tensions that are rising between different groups and communities? How do we provide the treatment for those most traumatized when there's so many in number that fall into that category? And probably most importantly, how do we reconnect the community members to one another so they can begin a, a new life? Those are, are challenges that happen on a collective level, and, and really our systems of mental health are not set up to handle that on a one-to-one counseling basis. So who does this? Who's supposed to do this? I don't know if there's anyone that's supposed to do it. I think it's really a, a task that should be taken on by the entire community collectively. The best strategies are to bring together all the players, the mental health counselors, the medical community, the social workers, the people most affected from the fishing industries, the oil industries, the tourist industries, and find the ways that create the kind of community rituals that deal with this collective grief and help bring about some hope and some promise that they have something to look forward to. And sometimes that means even creating new identities for the community. One of the things that strikes me as you talk is that historically this would be the sort of thing Years ago, clergy, they would take this role to bring the community back together. I don't think that exists as strong as we might need. No, I, I don't either. Cert certainly didn't for 9-11. There had to be other players that come into this, and this is why I didn't single out any one group. I really think it needs to be a deliberate effort by an entire community to come together, keeping in mind this dynamic and the issues that need to be addressed. Is there any evidence that the governmental officials or other, I don't even know, if, you know, the, what came to my mind is if this is something that should belong to FEMA, and I don't even know if FEMA has any mechanism to address this issue. Well, I know that there have been some disaster training in the Red Cross to deal with this kind of grief and situations and trauma around the world. And so there might be a connection with the Red Cross and FEMA in that standpoint. But I don't know specifically whether FEMA has people with those capabilities or not. You know, I I don't either. And and I should have looked it up before we started recording, and I'm certainly going to do it afterwards. One of the things that also struck me as I was preparing is that the notion of collective grief has been used in reference to how people felt, well, for example, after Michael Jackson died, or I can remember after JFK or Martin Luther King died. Yet it's it's not quite the same now. It's, it seems to be more unsettling. That was because someone got killed and where did the, you know, who, who set up the assassinations. But there's a different flavor to this. There's an unsettledness. And the word that I like that you use, what there's a collective existential anxiety. Could, could you talk about what that means? Well, I think what we have is people coming to grips with the real questions of what does life really mean? What, are, what is the value of what, what I've done with my life to this point in time? And then the anxiety of not knowing what their future is going to be given this catastrophic impact that this situation has brought to them. 
So they really have this whole question of meaning that has really, in many cases, uh, brought people to depression and despair. Which, of course, is one of the age-old aspects of good psychotherapy is to help someone find a meaning in life. But I think the notion of doing it collectively has a special flavor to it. It, it, it means we're not alone. Exactly. And it, and it also means that together we can bring hope to our entire community and not just try to bring hope to one person in those traumatic kind of situations. One of the terms that also comes up in the um, discussion of collective grief, and particularly from a more of a pastoral perspective, is the notion of pathogenic faith. What does this mean? Well, there, there are many faith traditions that when they deal with these kind of crises, their set solution is just to say all we need to do is, is pray more or, or accept this as God's will or some simplistic answer that really doesn't help people really get on a course of healing. And it really leads on a, a very distressful path because they, people quickly see that this isn't solving anything, this isn't helping anything, this isn't bringing any reconciliation to their, their issues. And so this is a challenge with faith traditions and, and all brands around the world of how religion doesn't become a trap to be something that is coming across in, in negative ways and feeds the worst side of politics from these disaster kinds of situations. And one of the things that actually adds to the problem is that a lot of people, particularly if they're hardworking and, shall we say, religious folks, is that they don't understand the feeling that fate has been so bad to them. Why did this happen to me? And that's a hard, that's a hard one to get over. Very difficult for people that have assumed that their, their life had been blessed and secure and all of a sudden they're dealing with challenges that they never dreamed possible. It's the old ancient uh, story of Job where he had all these disasters and calamities and horrible things happen to him and then trying to find some kind of meaning out of that. And the story goes on to say that there isn't always meaning to those kinds of, of questions. What could a person do? How could they look at themselves? And think now, please, if you would, as a counselor, how can they look at their situation and begin to understand the collective nature of their experience, of their trauma? What, how would they talk to themselves? Well, I, I think one thing is helpful is to look at this as one event in a series of major catastrophic traumas that have happened in the globe from the beginning of, of time, that this isn't the first major disaster, it's not going to be the last one, that there are people that have got through these kinds of things before, and they and others can get through this one as well. So if they start from a perspective of hope, I think that is a helpful beginning. The other thing is to realize they're not in it alone. There's many other people in their same situation that are looking for answers as well. And when those people can come together, they can actually bring healing and ministry to each other by sharing their, their feelings, sharing their fears, sharing their anger, their rage, the pain, the, the losses they've suffered, and they can begin the, the healing process. I also think it's, and I agree with you entirely, I think part of it is when they come together that they realize that all of their identities have not been shattered, that some may be, but not all of them. There is still some of them left. And that's where that part where I said maybe the most important is reconnecting the community, helping people to come together to realize that they still can reconnect as a community. The community may be different. The community may have a new vision. The community may be based on a new economy, a new direction. But the individuals 
can reconnect with each other. It's going to be a very interesting sociologic, psychologic, spiritual, uh, every aspect of human domains is going to be tested and observed as people go through this en masse, and uh, we need to help them do this. We clearly do. Yeah, another thing, uh, you know, I was reminded with, I was talking with a colleague who is a Yankton Sioux chief, and he made the comment that many people are saying maybe the uh, dominant culture is now realizing what it was like when Native Americans lost the buffalo for the first time, what it was like when they were uprooted from their lands and moved to reservations, what it was like when their children were taken away from them and put into boarding schools and so forth. And he went on to share the the difficult pain that uh, they had dealt with with years and how that led to increased alcoholism and child abuse and spouse abuse and all other kinds of horrible ways of trying to, to cope with this. But he also said they've realized that by reconnecting with each other and recovering their traditions, they can bring healing and hope to the worst of these kind of crises. And I think that's a good metaphor for what people in the Gulf need to begin to do as well. I do. I agree with you. And what's also interesting is that the Indians lost the buffaloes because of other activities that were not of nature's doing, but of mankind's doing. Exactly. It was a man-created environmental disaster of the epic proportions that were seen um, now with the oil. That's really interesting because I don't think a lot of people actually gave much thought to that. And psychologically, the impact on a very old, very sophisticated Indian culture was was incredible, and the same thing is happening now. Very interesting. One of the things that's also interesting is that the newspapers are beginning to pick up articles about the uh, effect on the psychic damages from the um, from the oil spill. The New York Times did one today. The St. Petersburg Times did one either today or the yesterday. And such things as one gentleman they interviewed said he's he's fretting over whether he will be able to pass on his trade to his tr- uh, children. And so what we're looking at is people are fearing the loss of family tradition, and in that is the identity. Exactly. Many people have thought, you know, my grandfather did this, my father did this, I did this, and I've been teaching my children to do this, and they've invested in their boats and their nets and their restaurants and their processing plants and all of the, all of the support things that go on with this particular kind of economy. And now they're saying... Will this ever be able to continue? Will my children and grandchildren have any part of this? Or, or is this whole identity that we've had as a family, as a community, totally gone forever? Very key point, and hence the whole notion of collective grief is something that needs to be maintained at the forefront as we go in and try to help these people, helping individuals deal with their particular problems or responses to the losses is very significant, but we can't forget the larger, I I just like the term collective grief, it just captures it, it really does. I think it does, I think you're right on in that observation. Well, I hope that we can trigger this thought in people that they need to look at it as, again, a collective experience, that their identities, though they be challenged, though they be changed in many ways, is not completely destroyed. And I think your work in in bringing this to people's um, line of thinking is, is very good, and I want to thank you very much for that. And I also want to thank you for all the work you're doing with the environmental issues because there is, I was thinking, I didn't quite know how to, how to phrase this, but there is a collective grief going on amongst the wildlife and the 
other living creatures that are being impacted by this as well. Their heritage is uh, possibly at risk as well. Yeah, over a thousand birds dead, 40 mammals dead, and we're not even counting the ones that have sunk to the bottom of the sea. We're just counting the ones that they visibly found. And then we have the added problem of all the migratory birds that are now up north that are going to come back to these areas and find the oil covered marshes and grasses if we don't find some way to clean this up very quickly. So the the psychological effect, the ability to survive is far greater than just for human beings. It's for every living creature that's um, in and around or uses the Gulf. We've affected the entire ecosystem and the entire food chain from the smallest microorganisms to the largest mammals. I hope we as a society learn from this, and that's subject for another day to be sure, but it is a huge, huge problem, and the impact is incredible. Dr. Rendell, we thank you so much for being with us. Your thoughts, your work is appreciated, and I, again, not to be redundant, but just think the concept of the collective grief and the collective identities is very central to what we need to think about as we go through the process of rebuilding after, hopefully, the, the leak has stopped. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you.